there were more of you. Amen. Need about four times this many. Doesn't that sound about right? About four times this many. But it is good to have you here this morning. If you were here last week, you know that we talked about the Holy Spirit. Last week was Pentecost Sunday. Does anybody know what today is in the church calendar? This is something you don't hear very often. Uh, Wesleyans don't really talk about it. But this is Trinity Sunday. And um, in the life of the church across the ages, from very early on, probably the 300s, the church in many areas would have looked at today as the day where the church talked about the Trinity, God three in one. We're not going to do that, but I just thought you'd need to know that. That'd be something you'd be interested to know. We are going to talk about Jesus today. How many of you think that's a good idea? It's not ever a bad idea to talk about Jesus, is it? I want to talk about uh, Jesus in his ministry, his encompassing ministry. In our Sunday school lesson this morning, I kind of hit on this. Um, One of the concept was the church is built on the crucifixion of Christ, or built on Christ's crucifixion. And certainly that is part of it. But Jesus' ministry is, is much more all-encompassing than that. Um, or his, not just his ministry, but I think it's important for us to realize that Christ uh, is an eternal being. He is an eternal person. He has no beginning and he has no end. Amen? That means that there was a Christ before, there was a Jesus Christ before his incarnation, before he became a man, a fully human man, fully God-man. Jesus existed. The church doesn't talk about a whole, that a whole lot, and there's reason for it, because there's not a whole lot we know about it. Amen? Um, I don't think anybody ever met him um, when he, before he existed as a man. Although that could be debatable. There are times in the Old Testament where the angel of the Lord appeared, and many times people think that that might have been a pre-existent Christ, pre-incarnation Christ, coming to talk to someone like Abraham. Um, and you remember, the, remember Abraham's encounter with the three angels? And uh, G, he makes a, a meal for them. He kills a kid, bakes bread, and they, he uh, serves them. And this is right before um, Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot and all that. And this is a place where some people think that that might have been pre-incarnate Christ actually coming to talk to Abraham. I don't know. Um, I don't think it matters a whole lot for my salvation. I wish I could have been there. Amen. Some of you may look at me and think I might have made it. I don't know, but no, I wasn't around then. But there, uh, there, the truth is, is that there is a lot about Jesus that the church doesn't talk about. I want to talk about him a little bit this morning. First of all, um, the first thing I want to mention is, is that there is a pre-existent Christ, a Christ who is before his incarnation. And the Bible does have some things to talk about um, in that venue, um, if you look at Philippians chapter 2, I want to look at just the first verse here of uh, verse 6, just this one verse for the moment. We're going to look at, I think, two or three more from this chapter. 
But uh, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, it says this, talking about Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Now, this is talking about Jesus before he is incarnated. And that's not a word. Before his incarnation. Jesus, who, being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. That's a curious phrase. It's a curious phraseology. The way it's phrased is curious. Um, A lot of times we have a little bit of difficulty understanding what that's really talking about. And let me tell you, we have very good company because there are few verses in the Bible that are more discussed than this one is. Because there are a couple of real questions about this. First of all, when it says who Jesus was in the form of God, what is he talking about? How many of you know God is spirit? Isn't he? If you know that God is spirit, you could nod your head like this. You're right, Mark. We're awake and you're right. Amen? God is spirit. So when Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God, what is he talking about? How can a spirit have a form, right? That doesn't seem to make any sense. That's the reason early on the church translators translated Holy Spirit sometimes Holy Ghost because they sort of thought that too, that it helped them understand that this was somebody who did not have a physical form. Um, And Jesus is being described here as being in the form of God. What Paul is saying is that Jesus shared the form of God. He alludes to it again in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. It says, Who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. How can there be a form of an image of something that is invisible or doesn't have a form? Well, Jesus in his humanity, his fleshly existence was the form of or image of God. And since God the Father is a spirit and does not have a physical more form, it must mean something else. And it does. It isn't talking about a physical form. Although when Jesus comes in his physical form, he says, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Well, he's not talking about if you've seen my flesh, you've seen the flesh of the Father. He's talking about if you've seen me, If you've seen who I am, then you've seen the Father. And that's what this is talking about, who in the form of God. What is he talking about? Well, there has to be something there that Jesus did have that he has to give up. Because it talks about um, robbery to be equal with God, and it goes on to say that he gave something up. Amen? What was it that he gave up that he shared with, with the Father? Well, it couldn't have been something like his, his moral character. He couldn't have given that up, amen? I mean, he didn't, when he came to earth, he didn't cease being like the Father in the sense that he was no longer moral or his morality was questionable. So that couldn't possibly be it. As a matter of fact, there are verses that talk about um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. In other words, Jesus understands the things that we struggle with. But he was also in all points tempted like as we are, yet 
without sin. So Jesus was continuously moral in his character. He was without sin preexistent, and he was without sin when he came to earth. So when it talks about him being in form, that still is in agreement with the form of God, the spirit that he had. Um, and it's, when you talk about that form, I sort of went over this. I think that it's really talking more along the lines of his glory, um, the glory that he had with the Father. And we're going to talk about that. I don't want you to forget that because it's so important. When, he, when it says he was in form like God, it's talking about, I believe, his glory that he shared with the Father. But the other thing that he didn't give up, besides he didn't give up his moral character, he also didn't give up his power. Uh, when, he comes to, when he comes to earth and becomes a man, we're fully aware of the fact that Jesus still has power. Um, he heals people. He raises people from the dead. So his power he did not give up. Even though he gives up something, it isn't his power. Matter of fact, there's a verse that's one of my favorite verses, Luke chapter 5, verse 24. And this is found in all three Gospels. But in Luke 5, 24, this is what it, you hear about Jesus. Jesus says, That ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins... He saith unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. Jesus says, So that you know I have not only power to heal, which he then shows them he has the power to do, he says, So that you'll know I have power to forgive sins, I'm going to show you the power I have to heal, or to raise from the dead, or to, to give back the power life that has been taken away from somebody. And that was the power of Jesus. He still has that. So he doesn't give that up when he becomes human. Um, I think he gave up his glory. In John 17, 15, you remember this. This is part of Jesus' high priestly prayer. Do y'all remember that John 17 is called Jesus' high priestly prayer? Part of that, in verse 5, he says, And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. Jesus, talking about his preexistence, says, Father, we had glory. We shared glory. The glory that you had was my glory. And I don't have that now, Jesus says. Do you see the difference here? He says, so restore to me that which I don't have. Give me the glory. I think that's, and by the way, when we talk about glory, what, was, what is that like? Can you imagine what the glory is that Jesus shares with the Father? Let's look at it just a little bit. In 1 Timothy Chapter 6. Now I want you to listen carefully to what Paul writes here to Timothy. This is found in verse chapter, chapter 6, verse 13 of 1 Timothy. He writes to Timothy, I give thee charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things 
And before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession. Now he says, I'm giving you this charge. And it's before God who gives life or quickens all things. And before Jesus Christ who had a witness, a good witness before Pontius Pilate. I'm giving you this charge. They're the witnesses, Timothy. That you, that thou keep this commandment without spot, unrebukable until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings the Lord and Lord of lords. Now listen to this verse, verse 16. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen nor can see, to whom we be honor and power everlasting. Amen. In other words, he has this dwelling place that is light. And it is light so full of light that nobody can stand to see it. Now, <clears throat> we have light that we are familiar with, don't we? The sun they warn us not to look directly at the sun because it can blind you. But it isn't the brightness of the sun that blinds you. It's not the brightness that hurts your eyes. I, I looked up on a website called Healthline, and this is what they said that happens to your eyes if you look too long at the sun. When ultraviolet or UV light from the sun enters the eye, it's focused through the lens of the eye and onto the retina, at the back of the eye, the retina is the light-sensitive tissue lining the inner surface of the eye. Once absorbed into the retina, the UV rays result in the formation of free radicals. These free radicals start to oxidize the surrounding tissue. They, they ultimately destroy the rod and cone photoreceptors in the retina. The oxidative damage is referred to as solar or photic retinopathy. Damage can occur in as little as a few seconds of staring directly at the sun. Now that's, to us, that is about the brightest light that you can conceive of. And the bulk of its damage to us, if we stare at it too long, is that we begin to lose our sight. Now that's bad. It's pretty bad. Amen. How many of you have ever had skin cancers cut off? So the sun can do damage to your skin if you're exposed to it over and over again. But it's nothing compared to the light that the Lord Jesus lives in. It's so powerful a light that we could not stand to be in it at all. We couldn't even stand to look at it. I wish we could get an just the barest understanding of what that glory must be. A glory that so far exceeds our ability to comprehend it. It kills us if we're in its presence. In this... <clears throat> you know, I, I think probably if, if we were able to begin to understand who Jesus in his preexistent glory, what he was similar, what he was like, it would just overall us we really wouldn't be able to comprehend who he what he this is key what he gave up to come here 
I think one of these days when we get our resurrected body, our glorified body, we'll be able to enter into that light and we'll see the difference. Now we don't know. Through a glass darkly, Paul writes. Through a glass darkly, we glimpse. And that's the reason we're all able to sit here and go, yeah, that's, that's odd. Instead of on our face before him and saying, oh, worthy is the Lamb. Why is it you think that all the angels in heaven in Revelation continuously night and day say glory to the Lamb, praise be to the Lamb? What is that? The glory. The glory that they inhabit. One of these, one of these days, we will see what causes them to fall on their face before God. That's the pre-existent Jesus. And the reason I want to just dwell there for that moment is because I want you to understand, he gave up something. It wasn't just heaven. It wasn't just some nice place. It wasn't even just that he ceased to be whatever difference between him in his human form and God. It was he gave up the glory. to come here. 1 John says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Um, the preexistent Christ was the creator of all that exists. Now I know God created the world. But the Bible tells us over and over all that the agent that God used to create was the Lord Jesus himself. In his pre-existent form, it was Jesus Christ who created everything that is. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 6, But to us there is but one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we in him, and one Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we by him. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 9, and it says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ. Paul wants us to know that Jesus is the creator in his existent form, pre-existent form. First, in Colossians chapter 1 verses 13 through 16, Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, why? Because when he came, that light shone into darkness. Amen? <clears throat> and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, that's that verse we used a minute ago, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. Praise his name. Amen. The preexistent Christ 
is a creator. He is the creator. Next, I want to look at Jesus as the incarnation, the incarnation of Christ. Webster defines incarnation as the act of assuming flesh or of taking a human body and the nature of man. We started off here with Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. I want to just read a few verses past that. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, that passage tells us that Jesus humbled himself and came to earth. But he wasn't through, was he? He could have come to earth and humbled himself and been king of the world. It still would have been humbling himself to come to earth. Amen? I want you to see how far he stooped. Instead of just stooping there, though, and that is a stoop, by the way, coming from heaven to earth, period, is condescending. It's coming down to another level. But Jesus didn't stop there. Having taken the form of man, he humbled himself further and took the form of a servant. And then gave himself to die. That verse tells us that before Jesus came, he had a purpose, and he knew what the purpose was, and he came specifically to do what he came to do. Amen? He didn't just come to earth. He came to die at the request of the Father. That's humbling, if you ask me. That's coming down. That's stepping out of glory into our realm with the purpose of being God and dying for a lost world. John chapter 1 again, verse 9, That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Why? Because he was light shining into darkness, and the darkness did not recognize the light. You want to know why people still don't know who Jesus is? In the lesson this morning, we were talking about... um, the, church, the lesson didn't really cover this, but there's a picture in the first part of our lesson when it talked about um, Jesus, the church was built on the crucifixion of Christ. But that's the beginning of the message to the lost world, is that Jesus came to die. But it isn't the end of the message. It's just the beginning. It's where everyone in darkness needs to hear that the light has come and it's paid the price to transfer you from darkness into light. That's the beginning of the message. The message has to be heard that we're all lost in sin and there has to be a Savior who comes and out of our darkness translates us from the world of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Why? Because He is light. He is the life of And the life is the light of men. And Jesus has come to do that for us. And so he steps out of glory. And he came unto his own, and his own received him not. Why? Because they didn't know him. They didn't recognize him. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of men, but of God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, 
And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. By the way, it talks about we beheld his glory. What did we see in him? If he gave up glory to come to the earth, what was, it, what was the glory we saw in him? His sinlessness, his perfection, his being the kind of person that we would look to and we'd say, I don't know what it is about him, but I want, to, I want what he has and I want to follow him. Can you imagine what it was like for the disciples to hear this guy come alongside the sea and say, listen, follow me. Give up everything you've got and just follow me. I'm going to make you fishers of men. What makes anybody do that? I'm pretty sure if I try that on anybody here this morning, y'all are going to look at me like I lost my mind. I ain't following you nowhere. But Jesus could say something simply like that, and because of the glory that he was, men said, I don't know what it is, but I, I want that. What an amazing God we serve. And truly, his plan is a mystery to us, isn't it? How could God arrange what he's arranged? Only God could do it. And the, world, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bare witness of Him and cried, saying, This is He of whom I spoke. He that cometh after me is preferred before me, for He was before me. And of His fullness have we all received in grace for grace. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man hath seen God at any time, the only begotten Son, which is, the, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared the Father. So Jesus declares by His incarnation the very character of God. Why did the world not know Him? The world of men was separated from God by sin. They were blind and dwelt in darkness. But God loved His creation. And wasn't willing that it continue to suffer from the awful effects of sin. And so, as an expression of his great love for a lost world, he sent his son to die for us in our stead. And that brings us to the next passage that we look at from the life of Christ, or the work of Christ. And that's the death of Jesus, the death of Christ. <clears throat> Romans chapter 5, verses 8 and following. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled we shall live by his life. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by him, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. So Jesus comes, and he does what we need that only he can do. He dies for us. Going down to Romans chapter 5, verse 18, it says this, Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one the free gift came upon all men unto justification in life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one 
many be made righteous. And God's people ought to say, praise the Lord for that. What a beginning it is for any of us who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, who believe on Him and what He accomplished at the cross. We have everything to praise Him and thank Him for. Our very life is contingent on the fact that Jesus died for us. But He's not through, is He? If He were, Paul says, we would be the most sorrowful people in the, the world has ever seen if He only died for us. But He did more than that. He was resurrected. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 it says, For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and afterward they that are Christ's at his coming. <clears throat> now, in Matthew chapter 28, this is um, sort of the Great Commission, although it's a little bit different. But Matthew 28 is one of my favorite passages. And it says, Then the eleven, this is beginning with verse 16, Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And I wonder why they doubted. They saw Jesus and some doubted. Some people say, well, he was far away when they first saw him. And when they got closer, they could tell it was Jesus. I think he was changed. My personal guess is that Jesus was different. This is after he's resurrected, he meets them at an appointed place, and they don't recognize Jesus. And remember that the people in the boat, whenever they're fishing, and Jesus is on the shore, and it's what he says that John clues and says, wait, that's Jesus. And Paul jumps in. They didn't recognize him. On the way, they walk by Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus. What is it the disciples say? They don't know who he is except for when he breaks the bread and prays and their eyes are open so they understand who he is, they don't recognize him. Something had happened. Jesus was, was different when he, when he was resurrected. As a matter of fact, in the upper room, what does he have to do? He says, see the scars? Reach your hand in and touch. Why? They didn't recognize him. I don't know whether we'll be recognizable, but I know we'll be different. Amen? There's coming a day whenever we'll be resurrected and we'll have glorified bodies and we're going to be different. Now, I want to tell you this. This is going to surprise. I know I look good. But I used to look better. Life has not been good to me. Anybody here say, yeah, I understand that. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to look like sin has never touched this body. We're going to look like what God intended for us to look like. And it will be different. Amen? I mean, if you, I, got, I got scars from surgery. I got broken bones that ache and, and, you know, little things that just, as I get older, I got appendages I never knew were going to be there. There's stuff hanging off of me, you know, tags and whatever. I go, oh, man, that's ugly. But I'm not going to be looking that way when I get to heaven. I'm going to have a different body. It's going to be a different body. I don't know what it's going to look like, but you probably wouldn't even recognize me. Amen? The resurrected Christ. When they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. How many of you have an NIV? 
What does that verse say? Matthew 24, I mean 28, verse 18. Is there a difference between power and authority? Not necessarily in function, but certainly in the way we understand it. If, if I say that I have all power, um, that just means I'm strong to most of us, doesn't it? Just means I'm really strong, and boy, I can do stuff that people who don't have as much power as me can do. But authority is totally different. Authority is like a, a king kind of word, isn't it? When you have authority, it means that nobody, if all authority is yours, it means there's nobody above you. You're the top dog. Whatever you say goes. Jesus says, that's what he's saying here. I don't think it's the word that we would understand as power. It's authority. All authority is mine. By the way, authority is a hard thing for the church. Did you know that? We don't like authority. Now, I know if you have some, you like yours. Amen? How many of your moms and dads, you like your authority over your kids? You wish you had some more when they get to be teenagers, don't you? Because suddenly your authority begins to erode, and they don't listen to a thing you say anymore. Authority is an important thing. Do you know that there is authority that each of us is under, whether we recognize it or not? Did you know that when you're under authority, if you aren't keeping yourself under authority, it's a sin? Did you know that? That's the reason it's, you've got to be very careful. You don't like Joe Biden? Be careful. You're under his authority. Better be careful what you say. As we talked about in Sunday school, we better be praying for him. Why? Because God has placed him, God has placed him where he is today. Amen. He don't just place the president that you love there. He places the one that's there there. Because without God's authority, he wouldn't be there. And by the way, God gives us exactly as authority who we need. Amen. America is in real good shape. Why? Well, we, we do everything we can to please God, don't we? So is it any wonder we get what we get? And I'm not talking about just Joe Biden. I'm talking about just about every president you can think of for the last 50, 60, 100 years. In my lifetime, we've had some doozies, haven't we? Bill Clinton, Tricky Dick. That's one on both sides just sort of even things up for you, you understand? We get pretty much what we pray for. We've forgotten how to pray for those in authority over us, and we get what we prayed for. But all, Jesus said all authority has been given him. On, in heaven and on earth. Well, it doesn't look like it, does it? Did you know that he has authority? Listen, authority is something that it only becomes evident when it's exercised. Do you understand what I'm saying? Um, you can have authority over your children. But if you see that they're about to touch a hot stove, and it's not hot, but it's hot enough to where it will get their attention, you have authority to stop them. But you might think, I'm going to let them see it's hot. 
Well, you have the authority, you just didn't exercise it. Amen? Amen? There are times when that happens, isn't there? We about to protect our children where they're, they're not ready for anything that life offers. But you understand the application. Jesus has authority today. He doesn't exercise it sometimes because he lets us put ourselves in a place where we have to pay the price for what we do. And that's exactly where America is today. <clears throat> so uh, Jesus said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all natures, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. How many of you believe Jesus has authority? How many of you believe Jesus has power? How many of you are walking by faith with your life that his authority and his power can help you do whatever he calls you to do so you have no reason to fear or back away? You just do what Jesus, how many of you, raise your hand. Oh, not many of us there. Think about it, guys. Come on. Be careful. Are you doing everything Jesus wants you to do? Is there anything that, that you're just afraid of? You know, I don't know if, uh, man, that's, I, I can't do that. I, I'm not, that's not me. I, don't, I can't teach Sunday school classes. I just, that's just not me. Well, if Jesus is asking you to do it, he says he has authority and a power. So if you fail, whose fault would it be? Has he ever failed? Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? So if, he have, if we really believe he has authority and he has the power, then we should be unafraid. We should be willing. We ought to be walking by faith. By, by faith. By, you know, that's walking by faith. What does it say? In Jesus alone, how was the rest of it? From all harm. No, what, I've, I, no fear. But we don't really believe that. Come on, church. We don't really believe that. Which is the reason our world is in the state it's in. Amen? Because if, if we really did believe that, imagine what would happen in High Point if, if this church, if these people right here, if we, myself included, really believed that all authority, all power was with Christ and whatever he told us to do, we could do. Imagine what would change. <clears throat> All right. This is uh, from Colossians chapter 1, one of my favorite verse, chapter, passages here. There's a passage here that just freaks me out, but I love this. Colossians 1, 17, and he is before all things and by him all things consist. Does anybody know what that means? All things consist. Anybody have another translation? All things hold together. Anybody know what gravity is? Oh, it's Jesus. Right? Anybody floated off the earth today? 
If you ask, if you ask scientists today, they cannot tell you what gravity is. They have, it's like a revolving door. What's gravity? It's what holds you to the earth. What holds you to the earth? Gravity. We don't really understand it. Jesus, the Bible says that in Jesus, gravity works. <laughs> it's Jesus. It's a spiritual force. But he says that everything, what, what holds our atoms together? you got a nucleus, and you got these little nuclei and um, uh, protons and electrons spinning around. What keeps them from spinning off into space? Jesus. That's what that verse says. You give me a better reason. I tell you, I don't know about you, but that just sort of freaks me out. Jesus holds everything together. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. Praise the Lord. That's the resurrect. This says that he presents you. Where does he do that? In his resurrected form, he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he says, let me present to you Mark. And the Father says, I don't think he's worthy. Oh, Father, he's been bathed in the blood. He's been covered by my blood. I've bathed him in my righteousness, and let me present to you the Mark that is born of Jesus Christ. What a wonderful thing that is. Well, let's look at the ascended Christ, and we're out of time, but let me just cover these two things quickly. The ascended Christ, Hebrews 4.14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. What is he doing? The high priest there, he is presenting us as the ones who he have been called according to his name, and are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, we're clothed in his righteousness, he presents us to the Father. He represents us. Hebrews 9, 24, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made by hand, with hands, but which, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God. Look at the last two words there. Now to appear in the presence of God for us. Why is he there? For us, he's there. 1 Peter 3.22, talking of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and power, powers being made subject unto him. So Jesus said, all authority is mine. What he's talking about there is that all authority is mine. All power is mine. Now I want to look at this last thing, the ultimate victory of Christ. Philippians 2, 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, 
of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's where Jesus is headed. By the way, that day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings. That day's coming. It isn't here yet, but it's coming. Now I want you to look at this. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the last passage, but I want you to hear what he says here. 1524, 1 Corinthians 1524. Then cometh the end when he, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. And this is Jesus at the end. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For he must reign till he hath put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For he hath put all things under his feet. But when he saith all things are put under him, it is manifest that he is accepted, which did put all things under him. And when all things shall be subdued unto him, then shall the Son also himself be subject unto him that put all things under him, that God may be all in all. That passage tells us that this is what Jesus is working for. Right now, he's in full control. And there's coming a day when everything will bow to him. Everything will be subject to his power. And everything will be under, in control under Jesus' feet, except for the Father. And when that happens, when Jesus has, has completely won the victory, he's going to handle the whole ball of wax to the Father and say, Father, here's what you've blessed me with, and now it's under your authority, as am I. Isn't that going to be good? Do you, do you, see, do you sense the humility of the, of the Son where he's, he has all of this power, all of this glory? Everything has been put under his feet and he does what Satan wasn't willing to do. What Satan wanted to do is to take away everything from the Father. He wanted to be in control. Jesus actually does completely dominate, completely destroy everything that's against God. And puts it all under in subjection under his rule, and then hands everything to the Father and says, it's all yours, it's all been subdued, and now I too subject myself to you. Today, the church is supposed to be under the rule of Jesus Christ. He is supposed to be our head, amen? We're supposed to be completely in con uh, under his control. Because there's going to come a day when we will be presented as the bride of Christ to the Father of Jesus. We'll go live in Jesus' house, which is the Father's house. Amen? Jesus doesn't have his own house. He lives with his dad. One of these days, we're going to go home as the bride of Christ, and we're going to live with dad too. When that happens, everything will be as it should be. God will be all in all, and we'll all be under him as his children. That's Jesus. The church needs to see that because when you do see Jesus in his whole or his totality, you begin to understand where you fit in. Let me ask you a question. Is the church under his authority today? 
Let's ask the Methodist church. We're trying to decide if the Bible's true. And they're just the ones that are doing it now. There are about four or five that have already decided it isn't true. Homosexuality's okay. You can have homosexual pastors. It's just fine. Is the church under God's, under Jesus' authority today? Is our church under his authority? Because that has to be our number one priority. I want you to hear this. If you're not under Jesus' authority, he can't bless you. If you're not under Jesus' authority, your effective work in your community is hindered. Are you under his authority? Because that's where everything begins for the body of Christ. We must be, he must be the head of our church. He must be. The Lord Jesus Christ himself. So as you, as you think about your, you've got a pastor coming who's going to be excited. I know he already is. You're excited about a new pastor coming. I want you to think about asking the Lord to re-image your mind. Lord, as a part of this local body of Christ, am I under the headship of the Lord Jesus? Am I under the headship of the leadership in the church? Am I under the, will I be submissive to the pastor when he comes? Did you know he's your authority? You can say amen there. The pastor should be your authority. Amen? If he's God's man, he's put here as the leader of the church. Are you willing to be under his authority? If you aren't, then you've got a problem. These are important questions you have to ask yourself. Um, all churches have, ish, have had problems in the past. Most of them have had to do with this single issue. Where's authority in your church? Where's the authority? It's everywhere in the spiritual realm. Wives, submit yourselves to your husband who is your authority. Husbands, submit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself for your wife like Christ gave himself for the church. Do you see authority here? Where's authority in your life? I have struggled with that issue my whole life because there was a rebellious streak in me as a child. And early on in my Christian life, I began to realize my biggest issue was who was in charge in my life. Because I like being in charge. I'm just like some of you. Amen? Maybe there are somebody else you like to be in charge of your life. I have to submit to authority in my life. It's changed the way I look at politics. Amen? Because that's authority. You, don't ever, you ever hear uh, Paul talk about Nero? No. Nope. You hear talk about the, that he's in, the, um, he's in the household of Caesar. That's as close as you come to it. Why? Wasn't because Nero wasn't a bad guy. He was. But Paul said, I pray for him. He's in God's hands. I don't have anything bad to say about him. He's in God's hands. Amen. I'm through. Come on. Just go ahead and close. All right, let's all stand in. <clears throat> Ask the Lord to go with us. Father, somebody, uh, Tanya said that sometimes 
sermons are hard to take. Probably this one was in some ways. Lord, I pray that it will not be received as from my words. Well, this has almost been all Scripture today. And Lord, you know what my desire is just that you would have your way, that you'd receive the glory and honor for people's lives who are changed, the way your Spirit works in lives. So this morning, Father, I just pray that your Spirit would imprint on the hearts and the minds of those who are here that portion of Scripture that applies to their life. And I pray, Lord, that your light would shine into any darkness and would illuminate what needs to be illuminated. And help us, Father, with your grace, by your grace, to say yes to you and submit our wills freely with thanksgiving to your authority. We just ask, Father, that you'd have your way um, in Jesus' name and through the grace that he offers us as your sacrifice, your son, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.